Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 19. I'm really going to do 12 through 19. Um, David brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it up from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. And David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with the songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. And they came to the threshold floor of Nekon. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And what happens when you touch the ark of the covenant? You're done. Is that, how, is that the sound that people make when they... No. He died. This freaked David out so much that he said, I'm not bringing this into my house, so I'm going to send it to another guy. And he sent it to the house of Obed of Edom. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed of Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So there's the picture of, of all that happening. It's pretty exciting stuff. And then when this happened, David saw that he was being blessed. So he went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed of Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. He wanted the blessing too. And with those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, when they had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire household of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal's daughter of Saul watched from the window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, for the truth that you give us. Thank you for this time. Would you open our eyes and ears to hear from you, to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Worshiping the Lord's excited. Now, some of you like to clap and dance. Other of you like to stand still. Other of you, uh, whenever you sing praises to God, you may have your own way uh, at the... At this recent annual conference, we had our Lifeway Church on the west side of Indianapolis, uh, which is a church of refugees from Africa, leading worship. And they taught all these old men and women and young men and women who often stand still how to dance while they worship. And it was great. It was a wonderful time. David danced before the Lord. What a great scene in Scripture. And he was excited to praise God. He was excited to welcome in the ark of God into the city 
And when it arrived, David and the people worshipped. They sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and then he blessed the people. Why? Because God has already blessed his people, and he is responding to what God has done and doing the same for others. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen? So we receive from the Lord, and we give to the Lord in our times of worship. And I just want to ask you a question. What are the times of worship in your life where you have felt God's presence and felt him move and touch you and, and minister to you? And I would imagine if you're anything like me, it would be in large gatherings, uh, youth rallies. This was like a youth rally that I went to where a lot of people, a lot of kids, uh, great speakers, great music, you know, a really kind of a very rare event in the time of a year. Um, that's not really one that I went to. But that's kind of what it's like. Or I can remember when I went to Spring Arbor University, the first night there, we had a time of worship. The chapel band was playing and the chapel was full of students. And these were all new faces. Most of the people I've never seen in my life who are going to become friends. There's a new opportunity, uh, kind of a, a new season of life. And I just felt God's presence there. and He was there. And then I also remember quiet nights alone with my guitar or sometimes in the piano room, singing my heart out to God, writing worship songs, praying, reading scripture. All these are wonderful times of worship. But worship is more than memorable nights with lots of people or being alone in a room. Worship Worshiping the Lord is who we are and it's what we do. Worship is who we are and it's what we do. What do I mean by that? Well, worship defines who we are. We are a redeemed people delivered from sin, slavery, and death. We are God's people called into covenant with God. And God's covenant is ratified by a blood sacrifice, which is really what, uh, when God instituted the sacrificial system in Leviticus, he's, he had made a covenant with them already, but for the forgiveness of sins, he, uh, he said, I want you to slaughter these animals and sprinkle the blood on the Day of Atonement, sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And then when we worship the Lord, we become a light for the nations where we worship and then we're sent out by the Lord to do his mission. And as Romans 12 says, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We are a distinct people from the rest of the world. We worship the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Lord who created heaven and earth, the Lord who sent his son to live among us and die and rise from the dead. That is very different than the worship that other people give. And I want to tell you, everybody worships. Everyone. People say, I'm not religious. Oh, yes, you are. And you worship stuff daily. Everyone worships. The question is, who or what will you worship? The church is the only group who worships the Lord. And uh, I know many people, and I've heard my own friends say this. Well, I feel like I worship the Lord best when I'm just out in a tree stand uh, with nature. 
And I, I understand what you mean when people mean when they say that. Um, and that is a form, but that is not the complete story of what worship is. That's part of praise and wonder and awe. But worship is to enter into God's story of salvation. And you don't just enter into God's story of salvation one day a week. You enter into it repeatedly, day after day. You enter into it with a group of people as well as as an individual. Here's the story of salvation. It's, It's interwoven into our worship. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to quote all the scripture right now. No, I'm just kidding. God who is almighty. God who is holy. God who there is no one like him. God, when he was the only being to exist, he spoke everything into creation, into existence. Out of nothing, he created all things by his word. And he declared it what? Good. first thing we do when we come to worship we declare God you are God we are not you're God we're not and then the fall happened in Genesis 3 and that was a broken relationship between humanity and God and then Genesis chapter 12 you have the calling of Abraham and later on the enslavement of his offspring in Genesis or sorry in Exodus and later on in Exodus, God told Pharaoh through Moses to let my people go so that they may worship me. And so God, with his mighty hand, delivered them out of bondage. God called them to himself and he called them to enter into covenant with him. And on Mount Sinai, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders were invited by God into God's presence on the mountain. But God said that the people could not come. They had to stay at the foot of the mountain. So they stood there. It shows us there is a gap. This God who is on a holy mountain and the people who are down at the mountain. So God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. And all the people came together with all their strengths and their talents to construct this building that God wanted them to have so that he could dwell with them, so that his presence could be among them, so that he could be their God and they would be his people. And so he called a tribe of that great nation, the Levites, to be his priests and they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people and their forgiveness of sins were provided. And over time, this people forgot about God and they rebelled against God and there were wicked kings, there were good kings, there were prophets who called the people to repent and God gave the people over to the hands of their enemies. They were in exile, but even while they're in exile, there was hope because God promised through his prophets that they would return to their land and that he promised to send his Messiah to bring his kingdom. And God finally sent his Messiah. He sent Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who began to preach when he was older, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And Jesus called, him to, called us to himself to follow him. Then he invited us to be born again. Remember that conversation with Nicodemus? I tell you, you must be born again. He displayed signs and wonders of the kingdom of God. And he was sentenced to death by his own people, crucified by a nation that was controlling the promised land, this foreign nation called called the Roman Empire. He was crucified by Roman crucifixion. He died. He was buried. He descended to the dead. And he rose on the third day. And in Christ we have forgiveness of sins and we have been rescued from death. We've been given eternal life. Not only that, he was with his disciples over the course of 40 days and then at the end of that time he commissioned them. He sent them out. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, make disciples of all nations. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. He sent them out to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And as I told you, that story of salvation are not all three part of this story. Worship defines who we are. And so we continue to anticipate the fullness of the kingdom of God while living in the already present reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. It's already here, but not yet. Worship defines who we are. And worship is what we do. So we bow down before him. The Hebrew word is shakah, to prostrate oneself. The Greek word is proskineo. And we can do that to anyone or anything. Who or what do you bow before? What do you give your life to? What do you give your time and attention and adoration and allegiance? Worship is what we do. We all do it. You may, walk, you may not get on your knees and your face to the ground to the things of this earth. but you may give all that you are to the things of this earth. And I urge you, make it the Lord. The Magi in Matthew chapter 2 said to Herod, we have come to bow down before the king of the Jews. And Herod said, oh, really? When you find him, come tell me where he is so that I too may bow down and worship him. And we see that the condition of the heart is very different between the Magi who said, I will bow down and worship him, than to Herod who said, I will bow down and worship him. Because one group really wanted to see him and bow before him, but Herod himself wanted to rid, get rid of him. He wanted to kill him. Which tells us this, the condition of the heart leads to action. It not acting. Our heart of worship leads to action, not acting. 
The Magi had action, but Herod was acting. He was voicing what he would do instead of actually doing it. And there's great temptation to voice what we would do before the Lord rather than actually doing it. Worship is what we do. The heart must be given over to God and action will follow. But perhaps your heart isn't given over to the Lord yet. Participating in worship can soften the heart to be sensitive to the Lord's presence. Participating in worship can open the heart to receive from the Lord. Participating in worship can train the heart on how to give to God what is rightfully his in the first place. Much of my childhood was participating in the ritual and act of worship. But it was highly formative for me. And as parents of children, it is important for you and your children to worship the Lord daily, weekly, in your homes, and in the presence of your church community. It will form your heart so that you may love God and serve Him. Education's like that. You guys like education? Did you go to school? Yeah, you all did. And the greatest thing that education can do for a child is to develop a love of learning. Yeah, there's all the basic building blocks to know all these things, but really education's job is to develop a love of learning so that there is continual learning. Because do you ever arrive at being educated? Are you ever done learning? If you get to a place where you say, oh, I'm done, you're dead. You're not really dead, but if you don't continue to learn, you're, you're not going to grow. You're not going to flourish. Christian worship can be like that. If your heart's not fully given to God, worship the Lord. And perhaps you will develop a love for God. By entering into the story. So we bow down before him. We participate together. We worship together weekly. And there's full participation in the body of Christ. It's not just you come here and sit as an audience. You participate. You stand. And you recite the scriptures. You hear the word. But you respond to the word. You come. And you take the bread. And eat it. You drink the cup. You give your lives. You give an offering. It's participation, not attendance. And also we worship the Lord daily. Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. In Romans 12, I quoted this earlier. In view of, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, your reasonable act of worship. This is your daily act of worship, to offer your bodies. Not that Sunday, not that Sunday worship prepares us to worship the Lord in the world throughout the week, but it is all the worship. It's all worship unto the Lord. 
Yes, Sunday worship could energize you and help you throughout the week, but also what you do throughout the week. You should bring your praise to worship the Lord. Sunday is a celebration of what God has done throughout the week as well. Both are necessary. And so we recite the saving work of God. What's to recite? You ever go to recital? And what do you do before the recital? You rehearse. But in worship, it's kind of backwards. We recite the saving work of, work of God. We remember. We reenact. We respond. Because it's what God has already done. The work is done. We recite the saving work of God. We respond to what he's done. And then we also rehearse the saving work of God. We practice so that we are prepared for what is to come. And isn't there something great to come? We declare him Lord of all. You're God, I'm not. We repent of our sins. We receive the forgiveness of sins. We celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. We sing songs of praise and adoration, songs of lament and confession, songs of thanksgiving. We sing the scriptures. We read the scriptures. We hear from the Lord. We preach the word of the Lord. We're taught by it, and it spurs us to renew covenant with God. We participate in the Lord's Supper. This is all rehearsing the saving work of God. We partake of his body and his blood. And we're sensitive to what he is doing. And lastly, we're expectant of what he's yet to do. Worship is what we do. It's who we are. And as a result, there's blessing. In fact, God challenges us. Bring the whole time in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and, I, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. That's part of worship. David was blessed because he brought the Ark of the Covenant and placed it in the tent and then he blessed the people. In Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. And such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. O God of Jacob, there's blessing in worshiping the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why does he deserve your praise? Because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. We are rich. We are a rich people. And I've been to other places in the world where people do not seem to be rich, but indeed they are. This is a picture of Burundi. A pastor's gathering in the mountains where there are children present and women and men and they pack that thing tight. It was about 100 degrees in there. People wearing suits. I had to get out of there. I went to the stand in the corner where the kids were by the, by the open door and they were worshiping the Lord. 
What a wonderful time of worship. This is another memory of mine where God met me, informed me. But it was just new to me. Well, this is regularly what they do. Gathering together, the highlight of their week was coming together as the body of Christ to worship the Lord. What a wonderful time. The people barely have anything, but they have the Lord. They have each other. They have great purpose. I'm thankful for the rare events of worship with lots of people. But honestly, I'm more thankful for the repetitive action of worshiping with you, my first from Methodist family. It's a picture from 2013. The Dentons, um, Beth, Tim, and Cindy, who are still with us. There's Bill Trimble right there. The repetitive action of worshiping the Lord. Remember the yellow and the pink carpet? (laughs) It's not just the past few years, but all the way throughout our history. 110 years. 109 years. Next year's the 110th year. We're entering into our 110th year of ministry. Do you recognize any of these people, Bill? This may be before your time. I got, I got this photo from my, my grandfather's collection when he passed it here in 1960. You recognize this kid? It's a vacation Bible school with kids. Recognize these kids? The Howard kids? The Abel kids? People come and people go. And that's okay. That's life. We have the opportunity as the body of Christ to worship the Lord daily, weekly, Individually, together. It's all about entering the story of salvation. So we're a people redeemed by the Lord. Set free from sin. Called to be like Him. And sent out. What a wonderful blessing it is to be with you. And so Lord, here we are together in your presence. We worship you. Help us to worship you throughout our whole lives. Help us not to forget like the Israelites did, but to constantly remind ourselves that you are God and we are not. Constantly teach and form each other into the image and likeness of Christ. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.